Hi, everyone. Welcome to our third episode in the industry perspective. Today, we're talking to Adam Weinstein, CFO of New Mountain Capital. Today, we'll talk to Adam about his experiences working in private equity, and we'll also talk about COVID and what New Mountain is doing to respond directly to the crisis. As always, I'm your host, Shruti Rao, and this is Counting on Capital. Adam, welcome to the show. It's so great to have you on. Thanks. It's great to be here. Adam, you joined New Mountain Capital in 2005 and now serve as the chief financial officer. What brought you to the world of private equity? And can you walk us through how the private equity landscape has changed since you joined the firm? Sure. Great. The The thing that brought me to private equity is I, I got very involved in the late 90s in the dot-com venture startup world. And what I what I kind of went through the three, four years of, you know, building some startups, being involved in startups, I realized that what I actually longed for were sustainable business models, businesses, you know, that weren't just, you know, one out of 10 that are successful, you know, where the one makes up for the nine that you lose your money on um, and that there was something more sustainable there. And so I came to private equity with this mindset that. If you take a business from a level, have some institutional knowledge and sophistication that can bring it to the next level of its own development, that's a super interesting thing to be able to do. And then to be able to do that over and over and over again in different businesses and in different industries, you know, is something that ultimately brought me to the private equity world. Um, The way I've seen it evolve over time is private equity really has become an institutional model. And, and, And when I say that, I feel like when I started back in 2001, really serving the industry before joining New Mountain, I was at Deloitte um, in their private equity group and then their M&A group. Um, and then when I joined New Mountain, what I really saw was this evolution from really a an organization of investors where you had five, you know, five guys investing in different sectors and, you know, they would, you know, have cups of coffee together with each other and discuss ideas into really what's become an institution. And when I say institution, you know, institutions, you have operating partners that are trying to add value, you have firm processes, you have reporting tools, you have analytics that you're trying to look at and and solve problems and bring best practices. And now there's a whole business that's been created where private equity was just investors before, now it's actually, you know, an institution, a business in and of itself. New Mountain annually issues a report called the Social Dashboard, and the dashboard reports on key metrics for New Mountain's portfolio companies. Some of the metrics include things like the total amount invested in R&D and net job creation numbers. How did the Social Dashboard come to be, and, and what does it tell us about the impact that New Mountain is having? The Social Dashboard for us came to be in 2008 as the global financial crisis hit. We felt uh, a wave coming on that unfortunately did come on uh, pretty strongly and, and is still around today of this idea that um, that private equity were a bunch of raiders. People were looking at the two, three, four high profile bankruptcies and trying to paint the entire industry with that paint color of just a bunch of greedy Wall Street people. And so it really came from that mentality that we think private equity, when done responsibly, and just like all human 
beings don't act responsibly. It doesn't mean you judge every human being uh, based on the worst thing that a human being has ever done. We thought that if we started to compile just some simple statistics, such as job creation at our portfolio company's net of job losses, as you said in the question, investment in R&D, looking at how you are as a social enterprise, what are you doing to bring um, further uh, ESG initiatives at your companies, I think there would actually be a lot of great statistics that would come out of it. And so we started publishing this in 2008. We've continued every single year. We've built a whole ESG report. Um, we've invested over $5 billion into R&D, software development capital expenditures. We have never had a bankruptcy. We've never missed an interest payment. We've created $37 billion of total gains, realized and unrealized, you know, for our LPs, you know, and ourselves, you know, and other shareholders, um, you know, and, and so we think you can actually make money for people. You could do it in a socially responsible way, which is where the social dashboard started. You can do it in an ESG friendly way, which is where the ESG program, you know, has gone since the initial creation. As the CFO of New Mountain, you do a lot of work on the fundraising side. Who are the key players that invest in private equity, and to what extent do these investors represent the broader population? The amazing thing about private equity is that the overwhelming majority of the largest or most of the largest firms out there all have state and international pension plans as their underlying LPs. So when I hear about a tax on private equity, 80% of anything bad that comes out of that you know, accrues or, you know, uh, retracts away from the underlying individual school teachers in California or the public employees of Indiana. And so ultimately the pension systems in the U.S. were the first real institutional investors to get behind private equity. I think they, they were before the even corporate pension plans. And so it is accruing to the benefit of, you know, everyday, everyday teachers and, um, you know, union, union and labored employees across the U.S. And, and globally. In my previous conversations with Professor Greg Brown at UNC, we talked about his findings that private equity has been a consistently high return asset class in what has also been an increasingly low return environment. Why does that matter from a societal perspective, given the diverse sets of capital that flow into private equity as an asset class? I think the, the, the thing to look at is it is over time, and I think that there is a certain part of the public markets that is unpredictable, as we know. Ultimately, the value of your business may not have changed in the last three months, but in the public markets and from the public markets perspective, they have because the COVID environment you know, lowered returns for everybody. And that that will hit mark to market. It will cause all sorts of actions when people look at their public-private mix of investments. The beauty of private equity is there's been consistently higher returns in the asset class. And why it matters is state and local governments, again, a lot of them the largest investors in the private equity asset class, they can't afford, given their own priorities, they can't afford to overfund and keep funding materially uh, the shortfalls that are coming up in their own pension systems. And so when they're looking for 5 or 6% returns and private equity as an asset class is returning 10 or 11% to them, that's an incredible amount of uh, beta and alpha, you know, if you pick the right managers, that comes into the return scheme and massively changes what the state government has to do. And so where a lot of state pension plans have come to, the ones that were 
early to the asset class and bet on the stronger performers, they had years and years where they didn't even have to make contributions to the pension systems because the returns you know, allowed to fund their contributions. All right. So let's talk about the COVID-19 crisis. It feels very much unprecedented. Its effect on the economy has been absolutely catastrophic. But New Mountain has been fairly involved in responding to the crisis through its portfolio companies, many of which have been featured on this show. I'd love to hear more about how New Mountain has been able to play a role in directly responding to this crisis. We have, you know, when we look across our portfolio, we call our investing style defensive growth. That is the industry sectors we focus on, but it's also the way that we think about the underlying portfolio. And so we set up defensive balance sheets. So we had less than four times debt to EBITDA on our fund four and fund five companies. We have covenant, covenant light debt in almost all of our cases. And like everybody, there is some impact on our portfolio companies from COVID. There are a few companies that are materially hurt in the short run. We think the longtime franchise of these businesses are not impaired. The short-term cash flow um, and debt considerations are, are things that we're, we're focused on and working through. Thankfully, nothing has had to be a fire drill. But when we think about what we're actually doing as part of the COVID situation and crisis in this country is we think we've actually been materially part of the solution. We have an industrial cleaning um, supply business that has been at the forefront of helping America get back to work. When you think about the large food prep, food uh, factory plants, the, in, the incredible importance of industrial strength cleaning solutions and massively cleaning your facilities multiple times a day to stop the infection um, from uh, the virus from spreading is incredibly important. Uh, we have some great press and stories on uh, a business that was creating hand sanitizer and got Jack Daniels to help supply the underlying alcohol, um, refined alcohol that's needed in, in, in hand sanitizer production. We have a business um, that is sending clinicians to the home to care for and test underlying COVID patients. You know, we have a, a business that's making protective masks because um, they are in the surgical scrubs business, and now they've added a mask line to their business and the supplying, you know, hospitals and, and some of our other portfolio companies. So when we actually look across the line, we have about 12 or 13 businesses that we think are materially trying to help um, and not doing it in a price gouging way, doing it in a responsible society way. You know? um, so trying to get America back to work, which is a big part of the initiative. We have a, a, a an offering of a bunch of our portfolio companies together that are looking at a bundled package of getting people back to mass offices and plants, as I, I talked about some of them in anecdote you know, uh, fashion. Um, and then we have businesses that are really looking at how you can look going forward to do stuff like this, prepare ourselves better in the future. So we have a number of businesses, at, you know, as I said in the portfolio, that are on offense. We have a couple that are on defense, just given their business models, but thankfully have very safe balances. Adam, thanks so much for joining. It was great to have you on. Absolutely. Thank you. And uh, everyone stay safe. All right, everyone, that's it for today. We often hear in studies about private equity that private equity is a high return asset class and that historically it's beaten the public markets. But I don't think it's necessarily obvious about why that matters. 
In today's conversation, Adam explains how public pension funds were actually some of the first institutional investors to really get behind private equity. And the people they represent are some of the most important members of our society, teachers, firefighters, and state employees. Adam also explained that while the COVID crisis has stressed some parts of their portfolio, it's also given New Mountain a chance to step up and play offense. Join us next time, where we'll talk to Drew Maloney, head of the American Investment Council. I'm your host, Shruti Rao, and this is Counting on Capital.